Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Hey, y'all. It's Chuck Reese here from the Bitter Southerner podcast. Now, we know many of you are hankering for season two of our show. We're putting it all together right now, and we feel really enthusiastic about it because in season two, we're going to dig even deeper into some specific parts of the culture of the American South. And you'll hear season two very soon. But we wanted to bring you a special bonus episode, something to whet your appetite. And it's a chat with three of the creative forces behind a TV show on the Cartoon Network called Squidbillies. If you're unaware, the Cartoon Network has a sort of late-night mini-network called Adult Swim, and Squidbillies is one of Adult Swim's longest-running shows. The church should be taught in the schools, and the schools should be part of the damn church. Now, you might say, Biggie, hey, you quit schooling in the second grade. That's right. That was the voice of early Kyler, the granddaddy in a family of what they call anthropomorphic mud squids, who live in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Georgia, exactly where I grew up. Now, I'd never once thought of my home folks as mud squids. I'm not sure how I could have, but I have to say that this strange little cartoon show somehow nails the hard-headed stubbornness of Southern Mountain folks like me. But it never really flips my angry switch by making fun of us. Squidbilly's 12th season just kicked off on Adult Swim, but right before the kickoff, I moderated a panel at GPB in Atlanta with the two people who created the show and with one of its stars. Jim Fortier and Dave Willis developed Squidbilly's, which debuted in 2005. The two of them have worked for Adult Swim's Space Ghost Coast to Coast and a host of other projects for that network. I wanted to know how Squidbillies began, and Dave begins the story. You're never going to get nominated for an Emmy with a show entitled Squidbillies. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fine. We made peace with that, I think, a long time ago. We're not going to get a trophy for our TV show. The Golden uh, Globes. <laughs> Call us. You were telling me outside that the name originally, the word originally came from like a cross between two Hanna-Barbera characters. The, the, the story right? that I heard, yeah, our you know, Cartoon Network was all about the Hanna-Barbera library at the beginning, and Lazo was running you know, the programming department, and what I heard was that they would, at lunch, Lazo and a couple other people were talking about shows, and they talked about a, a mix between Squidly Diddly and Huckleberry Hound. And somewhere in there, somebody came up with the word squidbillies. <laughs> and for years, it was just a word they laughed at and that they would bring up, like Dave said. And eventually, he, he brought it around, just was going, the squidbillies, you know, and just laughing at the word, which isn't even as weird to hear now after 15 years. But, and then, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. A couple of guys we work with just went home at lunch and wrote five pages of just the worst redneck stuff ever and brought it back. And he was like, oh, you're interested? Let's do this. And I think Jim and I 
although we didn't really know each other that well growing up, we both knew that area and we both had a specific idea about it. And I remember we got drunk one night and just made sort of a vow that we were like, we're going we're gonna to make this. We're going to make this work. And uh, we got Daniel, our buddy uh, growing up, who was far funnier as a voice talent than the 400-some-odd auditions we had from people from New York and L.A. Uh, reading for Squidbillies. <laughs> <clears throat> what y'all doing over there? <laughs> you know, like in this sort of Robert E. Lee animatronic... Uh, Ken, Ken Burns documentary voice, and that's uh, not an exaggeration. Actually, it's pretty pretty. I don't good know imitation. why I'll even audition people for. And Daniel's a, Daniel's an airline pilot. I got him trashed on bourbon and and had him do it because he was too nervous to do it otherwise. And it was just a voice that made us laugh when we were in high school. We've been through five or six hundred auditions, the way that he described. I mean, we get to the point where we were playing auditions in the room with all six of us and. We would just click it, and you'd hear the first part of what he did, you know. Tom Tom Jones, reading for Squidbillies. Hey, y'all. Okay, next one. You know, and, and and so we listen to Unknown, and, you know, he talks in some of his stuff. My name is Unknown Hanson. I'm 24 year old. And we're just like, oh, this guy right away. And we had an animation test already, so we just got him to read some lines and put it to the animation test. And, like, right away, Dave and I were just like, this this is the guy. And that was the point where we were still in the room with everybody, and not everybody was sold on it, but we were just like, this after all this torture, this is the guy. And one of the other recognizable voices in our panel was someone who made a name for herself and made me a fan well before she joined the cast of Squidbillies. Sometimes it takes balls to be a woman Standing up to a test While wearing a party dress That's Florida-born, Nashville-based songwriter Elizabeth Cook with her song, Sometimes It Takes Balls to Be a Woman. <laughs> and I've loved that song, and I've been a fan of her since her first album came out 14 years ago. And I love listening to her afternoon show, Apron Strings, which airs most every weekday afternoon on Sirius XM's Outlaw Country Channel. Here she is singing the chorus of the Squidbillies theme song. In the world of the Squidbillies, Elizabeth is better known as the voice of the character Tammy. Now, Tammy is the girlfriend of Rusty Kyler, who is Early's son. Here's Tammy fending off Early's advances his inappropriate advances in an episode where Rusty has gone missing. He's been gone four days. Maybe we should call a sheriff or put out one of those missing person alerts. No, no, I'm sure he's okay, and the sheriff will agree with me. Uh, Rusty's done hooked up with some other bitch right now. The game's up. It's over. He would never do that. He loves me. He told me we were going steady. Now, you got to understand, little gal. Rusty's still got some wild seeds to sow. And so do I. Oh, yeah. What does that mean? Rusty said you ain't got no problems laying down with a squid. Why you want the sequel when you can have the prequel? 
I remember well back in 2005 when I got a copy of Elizabeth's first album, This Side of the Moon, and it took me about 30 seconds to fall head over heels in love with her voice. In this next segment, Dave Willis talks about when he fell in love with Elizabeth's voice. I remember filming it and sending it to Jim and going, oh my God, this is a real voice from the South. <laughs> you know, really, you know, unique voice. And I think we both sort of share an affinity for that just unique quality, uh, quality to the voice, not the fake Southern accent, you know, not the Forrest Gump, not the Foghorn Leghorn. And the Isn't that always the wildest thing to watch anytime you see? Or hear, rather, southern accents. Oh, God, yeah. I'm like, no! Well, that was the first time I heard you talk. I was like, damn, she really is like that. Well, my, my manager, Larry's here, and, the, and she says the number one question about me. Well, second is, like, if, who do I sleep with? But the first one was, like, is my accent real? Do I really speak like this? Why would well, I have, not? Uh, why would I do this on purpose to myself? <laughs> you know. Well, that's. I mean, it's uh, hurt me as much as it's helped me. I'm sure. Have you ever lived outside the South? I live in Tennessee now, which is north. North. <laughs> well, it feels more Appalachian and Midwestern as much as it does Southern to me. Having come up in Central Inland Florida, which is just about as ratchet redneck as you can get, and then. I moved north to Waycross, Georgia, and I went to Georgia Southern, and then, yeah, Nashville, like, they don't automatically sweeten their tea there. You, they don't do it. That's wrong. Yeah. I did go to one place in a, a little uh, grocery store that John T. Edge from the Southern Foodways Alliance took me to, and the lady who was waiting on our table, they like served lunch in there, you know, like meat and three. Right. And and she goes, you want that unsweet tea or you want that diabetic tea? Oh, of <laughs> judgmental. Well, I chose diabetic. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's the reason I asked you the question is, you know, like I have spent two different stretches. I grew up in LJ, Georgia. Uh, Nobody's going to clap for Ella J. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I have fond memories of the place now, but it took me a long time to recall them. Uh, when I moved to New York the first time, which was in 1984, and then again when I moved back in 2000, in the year 2000, everybody just thought I was stupid from the get-go. Yeah. And I, I discovered the southern accent in a place like that, once they discover that you're actually capable you know, building a compound complex sentence on the fly. Yeah. You know, it moves from being you're an idiot to, oh, maybe that's charming. I met the one of the first times I met with a music row lawyer to sit down and go over a contract. She said to me, your vocabulary is surprising. And I didn't know whether to hug her or hit her, but she could not believe that I knew words. I was like, I had to do the SAT to go to Georgia Southern. I mean, come on. Elizabeth, are you, you're you a CPA, aren't you? I, I never sat for the exam because I got out of that. But, I, yeah, I did. Accounting major. major, right? Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. And, and, and a former Price Waterhouse employee. Yeah. I can do a spreadsheet and a keg stand. <laughs> Georgia Southern. Yeah. We, we love that, by the way. We love that. We've played with that idea of people judging the accent. Because I knew so many people growing up. You know, we, we're not always trying to hammer people. You know, we're like, we, yeah. we'll find little things in the show. 
I loved talking to someone who would just have a super southern accent and then just, yeah, my daddy's old triscodecophobic. He's got, what, 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 what was that? And they'd go, do I need to explain this to you? I mean, it's a very simple thing, you know. And I was like, I love that. I love that sometimes we'll have characters that are like early and he's drinking and he's driving backwards on the road and then he'll have some intelligent little moment of wisdom. You know, anger is a secondary emotion. You got to get to what's underneath. What? What is that? Wait, I want to yeah. get, get back to triscodecophobic. <laughs> what does that Do mean? Do I have to explain that to you? It's fear of the number 13. My, I mean, my daddy just has it. Well, you know, I mean. He don't like it. Don't say nothing about 13 with him. Well, it, it's funny because. Baker's my, dozen, he will just go nuts on you. <laughs> or a butcher's dozen, which is seven. <laughs> the coolest thing about interviewing comedy writers is you don't have to talk much. Uh, the thing that I've always marveled at about y'all's show is that, you know, you'll have some episodes where it's just straight up early collar doing something stupid and winding up with what somebody who does something that stupid ought to expect, <laughs> right? And then there are these other times where the whole thing somehow circles back to, like, you know, something that's in the current culture and in the political culture. Like, I think back to, you know, the, the, the episode when Early gets so upset that, that they're having a holiday tree in Dougal County, you know, <laughs> instead of a Christmas tree. Somehow are you, you're able to do that without making people like me feel like we're the brunt of the joke. And you're able to make a point about big things that are going on. And, you know, most comedy shows I don't think ever start out with a grand intention like that. But I think over 11 years, y'all have gotten there. Well, I mean, I think one thing is the network has, you know, graciously sort of let us write things that we want to write about. And these are things that we bitch about with each other every morning at 10 a.m. You know, it's like we're just, we just sit there and just <laughs> bitch about things that really drive us nuts <laughs> about, you know, where we live. You know, we're like, I, I saw, uh, I was in Florida just like uh, yesterday and I was like, it was behind a bumper sticker, keep Christ in Christmas. I'm like, who's taking it from it? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, Where do you stand on that issue? Yeah, I mean, so we try to. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of how we get get it out is you know writing jokes about it, and I don't really think we monitor it from a sake sake of does anyone feel like this insults them? We totally we're just like this is our approach. This is how we're telling the story, and this is how our view is coming across, and this is our art, and this is what we're doing, and. Uh, Thankfully, we work at a place where they're like, our bosses are like, yeah, that's kind of, we can kind of relate. Any artist worth their salt, I feel like, is, uh, is down for a cause that helps explain things, that helps relate. And for me, when I first became aware of Squidbillies and watched the first episode I ever saw, it was jarring. Um, but it was also like it was also like thank god like there's somebody that isn't dumb uh that they're letting make a tv show that understands what's going on 
And I feel like, you know, artists, real artists, ideally, I think, try to, like, peel layers off of things so that people can better understand things and the nuances of things. And Squidbillies is a just premier example of, of a show that does that. So for me, I was like, and I've always been, anything you need that I can contribute with any of my time off the road, I'm in because I'm just grateful. Tell me specifically what you're grateful for about this show. I think I think that it's 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 the dispelling of the myth. It's it's the the best way to address hard issues is always with humor. Right. And of course they've got that in spades. Mm -hmm. And they're they're addressing things that are points of contention and with all the anger and the hate all the time mm -hmm. uh, to be able to get it through the filter of a cartoon that that makes fun of it in an intelligent way but shines a light on things shows different perspectives of people that might all be southern actually and and just just highlights nuances of the reality of being a southerner mm -hmm. um, is is just super important especially right now yeah especially right now because shit's weird. Can we send the transcript of that to the Peabody <laughs> Award people? I'm a UGA grad. Well, I Let's... feel like we're getting away with something. And that's another... And y'all are getting away with something. And I just, you know, I don't throw my weight behind that. <laughs> And then there's the music angle, because it's not just Elizabeth Cook who has sung the Squidbillies theme song. It's been done by a crowd that runs the gamut from Jason Isbell to T-Pain. And even the late, great possum himself, Mr. George Jones, did a version of the theme song before he passed away. after all could deliver a line like i'll take all you sons of bitches when i go better than george jones jim fortier says the musical side of squid billies has been a great point of pride for them i mean we're super proud of that obviously we 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 reached a point you know billy joe shaver sang the theme for us at the beginning which was just a whole great experience and watching that happen was amazing and um we got to a point where you know we had to have something to promote and we love his themes and we had him do different versions of the themes and eventually we were like well we can't we don't have a lot of guest stars and they're, you know we just we're like a small budget show so maybe we can get artists that we love to do versions of the theme and you know let's, let's try let's ask you know and we've been told no by some people like sir paul mccartney is busy right now <laughs> But, you know, that's fine, too. That's fine, too, because then, you know, we we sort of mine for people that we love who are on the way up or they're, you know, maybe we can help them in some sort of way. And some people have approached us and and 
the themes that we get back, we don't really, we don't really give them a whole lot of instruction. You know, we just like, oh, Todd Rundgren was playing our theme at concerts and his warm-ups and stuff. We, someone showed us a video of, hey, look, he's doing this song in a sound check, and then he started playing his version of it, and so we were like, well, let's get him to do it. So here's this crazy thing with the weird pitched up moment and the synth in the middle. And we're like, yes, that's what you should be doing. And sort of, for me at least, that was like the cue of stop asking for anything. Just hire the people that you like because you like what they do and let them do it. To say Squidbilly's fans are rabid is an understatement. The show's been around for 11 seasons and now into its 12th. And I felt very old when people in our audience that night stood up and talked about how they had grown up on Squidbillies. Now, before we said goodbye to Jim, David, and Elizabeth, I wanted to know what the future of Squidbillies might look like. So I asked Dave a question about that, and I never really got an answer, but I sure did have fun with what happened when I asked. You know, y'all have the benefit of, of working for a large television company, which gets ratings books and does surveys. What do you learn from that about who watches this show? We've learned that 10% less people watch TV every year. <laughs> We've learned that we're TikTok. not gonna quite make it to retirement before we have to start our own YouTube channel and do video game reviews. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play Call of Duty on Twitch and talk about what making a show was like. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Adult Swim always did really, really great with the late night audience and did really great with the young demographic. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't really toot our own horn unless we had to talk to advertisers that wanted to spend money. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very... Uh, it's just very interesting. You know, you're competing with uh, YouTube and, you know. I mean, I tweeted out something. Oh, we're doing the Bitter Southerner uh, podcast tonight. And apropos of nothing, 30 to 50 feral hogs. Is that trending? <laughs> Can I catch a little tailwind off of that? <laughs> when we get to the 2020 season, is there going to be a feral hogs episode? Or is that going to have a short Oh, my God, on? I would love. We, we were talking about... <laughs> Early just getting an AR-15 and shooting 30 to 50 feral hogs and then just not having enough refrigerator space. So having to eat it all in two days. That'd be deep freeze space is what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, good meat, you know. <laughs> good meat if you Don't can Don't waste it. nothing. Don't waste. Nose to snout. Nose to tail. Rather, snout to tail. Whatever. Head cheese. Yes. They hitch. Oh, God. Yeah. Do you ever eat something growing? Did they make this in Florida from the hog? called souse meat oh uh, daddy used that word um and i thought it might have been the same as head cheese i don't really know i i know that one night I, we were i was staying at the trailer spending the night with with daddy i was on the phone with my boyfriend and i walked up to the kitchen sink and there was a brown uh box in the sink just sitting there 
like it looked like it came from Amazon or something, and I opened a flap of the lid, and I saw a pink pig ear sticking out. He was thawing out a hog head. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then he, he quartered it and, and boiled it and chipped the meat and strained it, and then he made something in one of Mama's pie pans. And, you know, she was, she was a vegetarian without even knowing what that was, or she didn't enjoy uh, handling that stuff. Uh, but Daddy was super proud of it. Well, as um, he should be. Yeah, he was. He wanted it on some white bread. <laughs> what is it? It well, I mean, head cheese or souse meat. It's like a. It's so they chip the meat off the the skull, and and it's it's fatty and it's small, and and so they put it all in a. Um, Does it taste in like a shit too? You really selling yeah. me on it. Well, they put a lot of sage in it, y'all. Probably for a lot of reasons, a lot of seasoning, and they they strain the fat off, and it kind of and mix it with some. It's like, it's like sausage, really, and uh, mix some seasonings looking. with it, and then and kind of pat it in a pie pan, and the fat kind of congeals, and you can just slice it and eat it. My my wife's from uh, Louisiana. She she uh, grew up eating squirrel brains. Squirrel brain? Yeah, squirrel brains. Well, you you can three times a day. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that is weird. No, and I don't believe that <laughs> no, either. I'm, I'm kidding. Well, I got some Once squirrels week, that though. ate my tomatoes. I like to eat their brains. Well, you know you know that you can always judge a supermarket and whether it still caters to southern country people by whether it has pork brains and milk gravy canned. Man, I grew up eating the brains and eggs. You know, yeah. you, 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 you like saute them a little bit in a pan then put three beaten eggs in there and scramble it all up. And it, I thought it was delicious as a child. And then as an adult, I picked up a can of them one day. Like I, the first time I lived in New York, I actually had dad ship me a case of pork brains, canned pork brains to make brains and eggs with. Yeah, I've had potted meat. I used yeah. to work in Mississippi. We had potted meat, and that was... It ain't that non-ironically. Yeah, well, we've got it. We, yeah, just some tight. Just fill it with tiger sauce. I was like, oh my but god. But pate or how do they say it? Pate. Yeah, yeah but got, with that, I'll, but that right? with that, I'll pay eighteen dollars for it. Right. I took Daddy to France. I took my Daddy That's to delicious. France. I took my Daddy to France, and he couldn't eat anything there. He didn't understand anything about what was happening. He said the bread is so hard. <laughs> that the flies can't penetrate it. And, uh, and so we were all worried about him. I went up to his hotel room. He had like four different hot French waitresses had delivered him, you know, duck or l'orange or whatever, had laid out on his TV stand. But he had found a grocery store next door to the hotel that had, he said it had Kit Kats and potted meat. But it was, <laughs> it was pate and chocolate wafers. And, and he, he, he was happy, so that was fine. I, I, I get all of that. Well, we've had a whole lot of fun tonight, and I really appreciate all y'all coming out. And let's give a hand to these fine people. We want to send out special and deeply heartfelt thanks to Elizabeth Cook, Jim Fortier, and Dave Willis, and more thank yous to all the fine folks at Adult Swim, Georgia Public Broadcasting, and The Bitter Southerner for organizing our live event. It took a lot of hands to bring that night together. Blessings be on them all. Our show is produced, as always, by Sean Powers. Grant Blankenship edited this episode. 
Patterson Hood of the band The Drive-By Truckers composed our theme music, which, if you don't know already, is called Ever South. The Bitter Southerner podcast is a co-production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and the magazine I edit, The Bitter Southerner. Season two of The Bitter Southerner podcast is just around the corner, and I look forward to seeing all of you on episode one. Until then, I'm Chuck Reese. Please remember to hug more necks, abide no hatred, and do what you love with who you love.